Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist. My name is Rachel Corman. Today I have a very talented guest. His name is Nate Williams. He is a writer, producer, session musician, multi-instrumentalist, and teacher. Nate is also very vocal and very passionate about what's happening in the UK as far as government assistance for artists. And we dive right into that and discuss what is happening over there and um, the many challenges that artists are having everywhere with COVID, but specifically in the UK, because that's where he lives. He's in Wales. I thought it was a really important topic for us to discuss. It's a great, great episode. There's lots to talk about with Nate. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Nate Williams. Let's dive in. Okay. So tell me what's going on in the UK right now. Well, first of all, I should say I've been trying to, I've stopped looking because it's so frustrating and so sad, but in terms of music and the arts, the most recent development, and he's, he claims he was misquoted. Rishi Sunak uh, is the guy who's kind of been looking after the self-employed a couple of times. We've had a couple of grants to keep us going because we haven't been able to work obviously for seven months or something. He's most recently been quoted as saying um, musicians and artists need to retrain and find new jobs. So as somebody who's in his kind of mid to late thirties now, I'm kind of thinking, I've spent quite a lot of time trying to be good at this, <laughs> like my, my actual job. And I try to operate at a higher level and retrain to be something they think is okay or viable because they've, they consider the music and the arts unviable. They, yeah, they've made us all feel uh, kind of pretty, pretty bad. Everyone's kind of frustrated. There was a, there was the self-employed. So the freelancers are now being given a grant of 20% of our average profit over the last three years. We all want to work. We just can't. Um, and we pay tax and we contribute to society in, in quite an important way, I think, as, as musicians, at least. And, and all of the arts are important. I can only speak as a musician. So I feel like we contribute so much to society in general. And then we're kind of being told, no, we're not going to help you out now retrain and become something else and they actually launched a, a website a government website where you could go online and answer a set of i think 20 questions and they would give you things to they would give you suggested jobs you could retrain for what um, were your suggested jobs so <laughs> my suggested job the first couple were okay there was like a graphic designer i can't draw i've got no sense of my eyes may as well not work i have no clue about any of that stuff uh, a dj okay sure um Something else, and then some really amazing ones, uh, which was a professional uh, sports person. <laughs> sure, uh, thirty-seven. Uh, a professional um, referee, like a soccer. I don't and even you know how that's. You could be a soccer like referee, or yeah, fo yeah. football. Football. I, I went soccer for your benefit. Okay. But yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So yeah, either that or professional boxer. Yeah, I'm, I think that's that's the my future. <laughs> so and stupid. you've been really vocal at this on Instagram. I'm more vocal about this stuff because it's just be, it's got to the point now where I think they they're so they so blatantly don't care about the arts, an event or whatever it is or a, a political conference or something. There's music there, or they'll go to the ballet, or they'll go to watch an opera or a show. But they'll be the first, you know, those kinds of people will be the first people to ask for backstage passes or. Yep. And you kind of go, really, dude? Yeah, it's difficult. And we're, but, but the people I think who are not willing to or not able to adapt, I think are going to really struggle the most. But so I, I've really been working hard to try and find other ways to, to make money and, and 
eat and, and all that stuff. So it's all good for now, you know. How have you adapted? I know you're teaching songwriting over Zoom. Yeah, so various Zoom classes, uh, different subjects. I've just chosen things that I like talking about. And then I, you know, I, I offer it to people. And thankfully, people like some of the things I do. So they feel I've got something to offer. So that, that's been really cool. And I'm going to keep doing those. And I kind of enjoy it. And it's not just a way to make money. It's kind of a fun thing. And I enjoy trying to, it sounds so lame, but like in, try if I can pass on some sort of inspiration to somebody, then that that's, I, I feel good about that. Well, that's what's um, such a great use of your time is this is a time for people to learn because we're all stuck at home and it's a good time to develop a new skill. So that gets the best of both worlds. You're helping other people learn a new skill. And also it's a way for you to monetize as well with the industry changing and artists have to be so creative right now. Of course. Yeah. There's been some other bits coming in, sort of, you know, other work. And um, so I, I moved out of London a while ago and there's been some other work coming because of that, because of where I am now. Yeah. There's been, I've been doing some like drumless tracks for drummers to kind of play along to with through my Patreon page, which has been cool. It's kind of, doesn't make me a lot of money, kind of pays my, my bill and stuff, but it's, it's kind of fun to be creative, not for my own music, but just, just with it, with something else in mind, it's kind of another outlet, I suppose. But do you have an that's, idea that's, of how you want the drums to sound, or do you just kind of leave it up to someone else? Like you, so you do I, everything else of the song except the drums. Yeah, everything. So normally I kind of put put some pretend drums in on my keyboard, program some stuff to what I think it should be, and then I send. They pay me like five pounds a month for two tracks a month, um, and they can use use them for whatever performances or practice or whatever they want. Uh, I get I get tagged in videos on Instagram and people everybody sounds different so it's it's quite cool to see how people are approaching it you know it's 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 been really fun I'm going to keep doing it for a while and yeah see how it goes but you, it, it's it's not really like money wise it's it's not it's not why I'm kind of doing it that's kind of why I got the idea but actually I'm I'm kind of enjoying doing it as well it's, it's that's, cool that's cool so you've kind of had to come up with other creative ways to make music and make money and this is so this is just an idea you came up with or how did you how did you think about it yeah it was something because i grew up playing drums and it was something i did a lot of that you could buy you know play along tracks from your favorite drummers or whatever you know and so um it was something i did a lot and i thought i have that memory of, of what i enjoyed playing on the styles and what i wanted in a, in a track so if i can make those tracks for people um yeah, hopefully people will enjoy playing them. So that's the kind of thing I've been trying to do to try and sort of make money along with teaching privately, you know, one-to-one -one lessons and, and the group things and like some recording sessions I've managed to do because I have a room next door. I can kind of be socially distant and, you know, kind of do it all safely, especially with COVID kind of going around. So where are you right now? You said you aren't in London anymore. Where did you move to? Yeah, so I'm from Wales originally, and I moved back to North Wales. Nice. I'm uh, Barsley in the countryside. And how is it yeah. there? How is it there with COVID? Is it pretty big? The numbers is it are, more calm? The, the numbers are low, but everybody's super kind of aware and super careful. You know, you go to the supermarket and everybody's cool. Everybody has a mask. And I think people are quite respectful of it. And I think because of it's kind of... It's probably fair to say it's kind of an aging population in general, I think, on this. So I'm, I'm on an island in North Wales. Um, kind of a lot of retired people and stuff around. So I think people are more nervous about it. Basically, it's where I'm from originally, so it's kind of nice to come back. Um, it's been a really good place to be during this whole thing because London, I think, has been weird. And uh, some people have taken it super seriously and other people 
you know, I see pictures and other people are just being sort of complete morons about it. Sounds so, like LA. Sounds a lot like LA. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people who refuse to, to wear masks because they don't want to be told what to do by the government or whatever, you know? So, okay. Do your thing then. Yeah. It's, <laughs> ugh, I don't even want to go there. I know. I'm with no, you. It's just too much energy. <laughs> I know. It's too much, it's too much energy to, to stress about. So I'm. But you're in the I'm beautiful countryside in Wales, just enjoying Great. and good for you. I've been fishing quite a lot, man. Have I'm, you? I'm yeah, so good. Did you grow up fishing? Uh, kind of here and there. Yeah, not as much as I have been since moving back. I, I guess I've I've just been. I think the older I get, the more I enjoy kind of just being out in the in outdoors. And I don't know, it's, it's weird. I was never that fussed by like how beautiful the scenery is when I was a kid. I guess you, you're not right. And then you get to thirty something, and you kind of go, "Whoa, those mountains are amazing." I know you don't appreciate it as much as when you're younger. It's definitely something yeah. you take for granted. And when you're older, you're like, man, I was, I was pretty lucky to grow up here. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's kind of cool as well to come back and be able to speak. So not many people know, but Wales has its own language. So we speak Welsh. There's, you know, it's a big mix of English and Welsh, but it's nice to come back and be able to speak more Welsh with people. And not many people speak Welsh in London, obviously. So it's, it's kind of cool to come back and see my Welsh friends and see my family more. So yeah, it's definitely some upsides. It's quiet and there's not, you know, I miss all the good coffee places and restaurants and all that cool stuff. And my, lots of my musician friends are in London, but there's definitely some upsides. Let's talk about you growing up in Wales. So when did you first have a passion for music? So my whole family pretty much are musical. So uh, I never had a chance, man. I was, I was like, <laughs> it was always going to be something. You had to be musical. a musician. <laughs> yeah, there's like pictures of like, my dad putting headphones on my mum's belly while she's pregnant, you know, and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I kind of grew up, kind of came out singing Stevie Wonder tunes, I think. So, just I started playing piano at five. Like, well, I started having lessons at five. I was probably making noises before, but maybe started playing a, like a small drum, like snare drum at six. And that kind of carried on. I started gigging, like doing little jazz gigs and stuff when I was 13. Like I was doing smaller things before. My mum used to run a small choir and I used to play with those when I was like eight, nine, ten. But then actually making money, I started at 13. Did your drums. parents teach you how to play? How did you learn? Uh, yeah, a little bit. They sort of played. My, my dad sort of plays piano. My mum, my mum's a really good piano player. And sort of I learned from them a little bit, but it was mostly my own doing. And I also had some piano lessons from a teacher from five until 16 years old. That was kind of classical piano and all that. And I anyone who wants to learn to play piano should do that I think because it gets all the technical stuff is is there then and you you just have that forever um but yeah so 13 I started playing drums in my uncle's little jazz group uh like playing at the end of the pier like in the tourist spots and like making like 50 pounds a show which is which is good I, I don't know how much that is in dollars and I guess as a kid like, I mean but hey it's yeah. something you're making money as a kid that's got to feel good I'm 13 years on. I'm making 50, you know, $60 ish, I guess on a, on a Saturday afternoon. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. So then that <clears throat> developed into sort of doing some, some other gigs and some, some for less money, some for more money started doing, you know, get to like 16, 17 years old, start playing like weddings and making like 150, 200 pounds, whatever. And you start making more and more money. So I kind of got a taste for playing music for money quite young, I think. Um, but ne that's never been the driving force. I should probably say that, but it's kind of a nice bonus to be able to do what you want 
for a living you know and then you get you get paid for the thing you love most i think that's that's a really fortunate position to be in and at the wedding were um, you mainly playing keys or what were you playing growing growing up at that age it would have been drums drums um i started playing bass at like 15 years old because my friend got a guitar my other friend got drums and i was already playing drums but they didn't have a bass player so i started playing bass <laughs> uh kind of learned some some tunes and stuff which was which was fun and then weirdly like drums was my first instrument for so long and I'm kind of skipping ahead, but when I moved to London at like 22, I didn't have any space for drums anymore, which is like, so it was literally just logistics. That's the reason I stopped playing drums as much. So I started playing way more bass. And then that took over as my first instrument, really. I started getting more, more and more work on bass. And did you teach yourself bass? Or it's like <clears> once you know one instrument, once you know keys and you know the basic principles of music, you can kind of learn another instrument. Is that true? I think so. Yeah, that's because it, it's all it's all the same thing. Like it doesn't. It, there's no secret kind of magic thing that that a bass has that the piano doesn't have. Like it's all the same twelve notes. You know, certainly in Western music, we're all, we're all using the same group of notes. So I don't really mind what the instrument is. Obviously, there's complications, there's difficulties. You know, in terms of technique and all that other stuff. But in terms of, I always say this. My, my, I was talking to my mum about this recently. She was talking about how. When I was a kid, I would pick up an instrument and seemingly learn something quite quickly. And I remember learning bass and just knowing where the notes were. It was, I've never been able to explain it, but and it's, it's not a brag. It's just a weird thing I found myself in knowing where these notes were. And I was like, yeah, I, like, I enjoy this. And it's not hard. And I'm finding it. I'm feel, I feel like I'm progressing quickly. It's, for any kid, though, if you start something and you, you, you notice yourself getting better and better quickly, you'll stick with it. I guess if something comes naturally to you like that, you're going to want to mm. keep playing and you're going to want to keep learning. For sure. But it's not like, like if you go to the gym, like let's say you want to, you want to have big muscles in your arms. Like that's not quick. Right. Like that, that stops a lot of people is that it's not like an open, I can't see the progress quick enough. So it's like, ah, oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> I'll leave it. Cause you've got to do that for months and months and months. And then, then you start to see some progress, but, but with, but I just found myself playing this instrument and getting it. Like I just, I understood stuff. So it just kind of, yeah, it made sense. I think because I'd played drums and piano, I had a good grasp of kind of rhythm and harmony. So those, those two things really come in when you're playing bass. So it, they, they kind of marry up into this one instrument. So yes, it was kind of a weird situation, yeah, but, but that became my first instrument really. What's your favorite instrument to play? Piano, hundred thousand percent. Yeah. What, what yeah, about yeah, piano? Like this, what about it? Mm -hmm. it's, every, it's everything, isn't it? It's harmony, melody, and rhythm. It's like in one instrument, you could, it does everything. Like it's, it's, yeah, I could play a bass line on it. I could play you a melody on it. I could play you percussive things on it, either on the notes or slap the side of the piano. Like it's got everything. I couldn't live without a, a piano or a keyboard. That, that would, what's the point? <laughs> That sounds dramatic, but what's like that's that if I had a desert island situation and I could yeah. choose one instrument, it would be a piano without a shadow of a doubt. There's no question. You can keep your guitars. No, I don't need you. <laughs> so you have this love for music. You're making money at 13 years old, 14 years old, playing on the weekends. Mm. What's your next step? Do you go to music school? What did you what did you do from there? So I did my sort of exams, so what they call A-levels here at sort of like 17, 18 years old. The next step would be university. Uh, I chose not to go to university. I, I applied and auditioned for two. I got accepted into both, I think. 
but I decided not to go. And I basically just started uh, a combination of doing like playing shows and whatever from, for, you know, just a continuation of what I was doing, but also just teaching. I managed to get some teaching, what they call peripatetic teaching. So teaching around the schools, traveling, like teaching in like three, four schools in a day in the local area, just kind of teaching guitar, like, uh, so primary and set. So, you know, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but primary and secondary schools, right. Young kids up to sort of 16, 17 years old. Um, I just did that for a couple of years, really. It was kind of an easy job. So you've always been into teaching. This isn't new right now. You've always been into teaching. I've taught from quite young. It's unusual. I think for somebody at 18, 19 to go and, and teach that stuff, but it was something, it was kind of easy to get into because I knew some people who did it and the people who ran the company. So I was just kind of said, Hey, do you need somebody? And they said, yes. And they said, what do you do? And I said, well, what do you want? Uh, but, <laughs> I, that's, that's, that sounds arrogant, but it, it, it was, it was kind of a bit of drums, a bit of guitar and, and a bit. So it was really nice. That's been a really useful part of being what you'd call a multi-instrumentalist. I guess you can, you can do a bit of, a bit of everything. So in terms of teaching, it was nice to go and teach guitar in one school. Then you teach drums for a couple of hours. Um, so that was my life for, for a couple of years in, in North Wales up until maybe like 20, to, I was writing some Welsh language music as well, which was kind of a cool thing to do, but it's nowhere near the kind of music I, I wanted to be making, I don't think. It oh, was that's kind of, cool. I, so the, so it's in the Welsh language, the music. Yeah, but stylistically, it was kind of, it was an interesting, it was a weird time for, for Welsh language music because I think it was slightly, it's, it's, it's come so far now where it's way more accepting of different styles and different people can get on the radio because they sound good regardless of style. But back then it was way more, if you didn't write in the right style, they kind of, the radio wouldn't want to know. So I kind of write wrote music to fit that thing so I could get on the radio and get some like little royalties here and there. And, and that so kind of what's thing, the it? style? How, so it's different than other, other type of like English music. It's not that different, but it, it would be different to what I would want to do. Like, so, so I, I, as you probably know, I've, I, I grew up on like Stevie and Quincy Jones, like loads of American music and like Motown, Michael Jackson, Bill Withers, all, all that amazing stuff. But I was having to write music in order to get this Welsh stuff going. I was having to write more like Coldplay or like that kind of guitar-y, slightly more middle of the road stuff. Whereas I, the stuff I was listening to was like, I was listening to... But yeah, the dude by Quincy Jones and stuff. I was just like, just, just completely different stuff. Um, so it was a weird time, but I kind of listened back to that stuff with really fond memories because it was my first ex experience of kind of writing something, arranging it, getting some string players in on the session, and, and going to a studio to kind of get it mixed and you know record it all. So it was a good experience, I think. And you uh, were how old at the time? How old were you? I guess maybe nineteen. Wow. 20. And it, it was, I mean, it's the recording stuff wasn't new to me in the sense that I was kind of doing it at home on like a 12 track recorder from quite a young age. So I was recording like layering vocals and, and recording stuff on a keyboard, like a beat or something and recording that into the machine, bouncing it down to one track to, you know, all that stuff that lots of people do from really young. But then to be actually to be able to go to a nice studio with a piano in it and have an engineer like mic all the stuff up for me and do that side of things it was it, that was my first experience really for my own music at least um, yeah so that was a that was a cool time but but yeah musically not something I 
particularly enjoy sharing with people. So you were, you're really like self-taught then. You didn't really go to, you didn't go to music school. You didn't. No, wow. no, I didn't, I didn't study anywhere. I just kind of, <clears throat> yeah, just, I grew up playing in lots of different musical situations. So there was a brass band I played in as a kid, had piano lessons, played orchestral stuff, played in some big bands. So, so you kind of get a, an idea for, for lots of different types of music and playing different instruments helps see music from different perspectives, I think. And I just found, I just sort of gravitated to it, I think. And I never, I never studied formally, but it's not to say I haven't put like thousands you haven't of studied hours. yourself. Of course, of <laughs> yeah. course. I'm not discrediting yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. You're not just born being able to play an instrument. So it, it has taken time, but I've found it really enjoyable and not, not particularly sort of, it's not that it's not challenging, but it's not, it's, it's challenging, but not in the, in the, with the negative side of that, what that word can bring, I think. And how old were you when you moved to London and really got in the music scene there? I always think I was 22 when I moved to London, but I was 22 when I moved to Brighton first. I lived there for a couple of years and that was fine. I don't really have much to say about that period, really. It was, I lived there for like two years. I worked in a, like a music company, an online music company and did some gigs. Like I got started getting my first kind of cool session work, I think, at that point. Is Brighton um, a big music hotspot? Is that why? Kind of has its own little bubble, but I had friends there and it was kind of a step, it's way closer to London than, than Wales, right. than North Wales. So it was a cool little stepping stone to go and live kind of on my own properly. Uh, and it was kind of as far away as I could get from my family, pretty much, which wasn't, wasn't intentional, but it happened to be that. Um, so I started, that was when I first started getting cool gigs. So that was the first and only time, uh, sort of frustratingly, the only time I ever did uh, Glastonbury. That was then uh started getting this cool so there's a band a welsh band called the super furry animals which uh not a lot of people have heard of but they're like kind the of the name forgot. though yeah there's some cool <laughs> it's quite psychedelic kind of rock stuff but they're super cool band like massive cult following in the uk particularly um so i did some shows with the front man of that band who has some solo albums and that was my first kind of experience of touring really and that kind of came i can't even think what year that would have been but i was like early 20s do you play keys for them? I played drums on that drums on, on that, that tour. Yeah. So when you audition or try to get involved in a band, how do you present yourself? You say just I'm an instrumentalist, I can play whatever you want me to play, or how do you sell yourself to them? Yeah, it's tricky. Normally it's sort of the other way around. You sort of you hear about what it is that band wants and you kind of go, Well, can I do that? Yes. Mm. Okay, cool. Or can I do that? No. Let's move on. So that for that show, I know I knew they needed a drummer. Uh, and I knew the bass player and he, I think my memory is so bad, but I, from what I remember, he recommended me for the gig. I don't even remember auditioning. I think the artist just took his word for it. And then was like, yeah, okay. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it was quite weird, but it, it was fine in the end. So we had some rehearsals and he was, I was happy. Say, so I hope you rehearsed before you had a show. So yeah, he knows exactly. that you could actually play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thankfully it went okay. Um, but yeah, that was that was when I first started getting those shows. But after two years in Brighton, I, I decided to move to London. Yeah, that's when I started getting more work, I, I guess. So when did you join Jamiroquai? Jamiroquai happened like a way into my time in London. So that was 2017. So almost a year after I met you, I think. Wow, so, it was after we met. Yeah, so I joined Jamiroquai in the February of 2017. Okay. I have to tell you, I didn't realize that they did virtual insanity, which 
is one of my favorite 90s songs. And I wanted to tell you this story. I was in the car yesterday and I have a 90s playlist on Spotify. And it came on and I was jamming out in my car per usual. And then the artist's name pops up. And I was like, wait a minute. And I put two and two together and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to tell Nate. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's one of my favorite 90s songs. Amazing. Yeah, it's a good tune. I remember oh, that coming so out at the time thinking, wow, this sounds amazing. Um, yeah, so that that's, do you remember what happened kind of quite a long time after moving to London and doing lots of lots of other gigs with with different artists and touring and yeah so it, it was kind of a cool I feel like the trajectory has been quite cool it's been sort of getting slightly bigger prof, higher profile gigs each 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 new project has kind of gone in a good direction I think um Jim Require being the biggest up at that point I've recently started working with um, a guy called Steve Winwood who is kind of a, a you know a legend in his own right and most people will have heard one of his songs recently. Um, I forget who did it, but it was Higher Love with Whitney Houston yeah. singing it. Uh, that's one of his. Um, yeah, he's written some incredible tunes. I think um, that one's on another Spotify playlist I have. I think that one is on my workout playlist. <laughs> Amazing. So he was in, like, he's been, so he's like 72 years old now. And he's been, wow. He was in the Spencer Davis group years ago. He was in a band called uh, Blind Faith and, yeah, he's he's done so much with like I looked at his credits. So when when I f I got this gig, I, I looked at his credits and discography, and he worked with like Hendrix, Eric Clapton, like all these incredible people. And you kind of going, he wrote with these people. He played so he's an organ player by trade. And you're like, oh man, this guy. I, it's you can't be too unprofessional about it. But the, what I really want to do most in the world is sit with him and learn about. I just want to hear all his stories. Like he's just worked with everybody. Have you had a like, chance to sit down with him? Yeah, we sort of we did some rehearsals earlier in the year, but then COVID happened, so that all stopped. But we we talked about music and our favorite organ players, and we had a little, you know, sit down and play together, and we kind of talked about music, but not. I don't. I just want to sit and listen. I don't want to talk. I just want to hear him tell me about Hendrix and mm -hmm. all these people you've worked with. You know what it was like. So. Hopefully, you know, there's supposed to be a tour next year. Well, it's been rescheduled for next year. That's a co-headline -tour, tour with uh, Steely Dan. So with Steve Winwood and Steely Dan uh, through the States, uh, which I was so looking forward to doing because I only really know the coasts, mm -hmm. like east and west coasts, but there's this whole bit in the middle, <laughs> which people I'm forget from. about. Where are you from? Minneapolis. Okay. Minnesota. That's, That's some good music Prince. coming from there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think we were going through. Yeah. We were, we were going sort of like a U shape. We started in uh, Portland, I think, Oregon, and then sort of went down. Oh, so you're starting on the West coast going yeah, down working and our way then going East up to the East. Yeah. So we were oh, working right. our way through like Texas and, and all this stuff. I was, I was really looking forward to seeing some of that. There's not some, yeah, there's not a part of the States I'm really, uh, I've experienced. So I was, Mostly excited about the food, I must admit, like in the South. <laughs> How do you get these gigs? Is it is it just networking? Is it what's your advice to people who are trying to get get jobs like this? I think the best thing to do is to not think about these types of jobs and just go and do other shows. So any any big sort of pop gig I've ever gotten has been because I've done something else. So the most recent two, so Jamiroquai and Steve Winwood. Well, I'll tell you both. So Steve Winwood, I got because. Uh, the percussionist in Jamiroquai, Shola, he uh, 
he uses equipment by a company called LP, like Latin Percussion. They provide him with his equipment. And he did a like a 50th anniversary thing for LP, uh, Ronnie Scott's. And he said, hey, do you want to play keys? Said, yeah, sounds great. I don't even care about how much money it is. I'd love to do that. That's that's fun. And it was a special guest, a guy called Giovanni Hidalgo, who's who's a percussion legend. You know, he came down. I played keys. Charlotte uh, asked me to sing a song. Uh, we did Another Star by Stevie Wonder. All the percussion guys going crazy, and I sang. I'm sensing a theme and, of Stevie Wonder here in your life. Yeah, there's there's some quite heavy Stevie references. Yeah, but that wasn't even my idea. He suggested that okay, song, okay, so it, fair, just, fair. it just happened to work out that I knew the song really well. But then uh, Steve Winwood happened to be in the audience, and I think sort of enjoyed what I did. And then turns out he wanted me to be involved in his project. So that gig happened because I did a, another gig. Um, the Jamiroquai gig happened because I played at somebody's 40th birthday party. I played keys and the guitar player happened to be Rob Harris, who's the guitar player for Jamiroquai. We got on really well. We, you know, told each other some horrendous jokes and, and I think enjoyed sort of hanging out. He then called me, said, we need a keys player who can double up on guitar, X, Y, and Z. Would you be interested? I was like, let me think about it. <laughs> no, I just said, <laughs> I just said, I just said, yeah, of course. Like this, there's no question. So I had to go to Jay, so JK's house uh, to do a kind of audition. Although I think I was the only one. So uh, this one so you did audition for. <laughs> he didn't just take was, you at your word. At this one. No, well, yeah, quite. But he's put me forward for it. But but it was sort of a really informal. They said, learn a couple of these songs, learn some string parts for this, learn some keys parts for this. Um got me to play along to some stuff in Jay's studio. So Rob, the guitar player was there, Paul, the bass player was there, and Matt, the other keyboard, the sort of main keyboard player was there. Play along, and then I'm playing, they said, oh, solo over this section, take a solo. I was like, cool, I was playing. And then Jay comes running into the room. I'm like, oh, okay, just keep, just don't, you know, don't think about that, just keep playing, da, da, da. And he shouted something in my ear, and he was enjoying it because he was dancing around. So I was like, okay, cool, as long as he's dancing, like, we're, we're good. And turns out, yeah, he was cool with it. And then I, I got offered the gig, yeah. So it was, wow. it was kind of a weird audition, like where the artist just comes running in, like like a, some crazy dog, you know, just like bounding into the room. Um, but <laughs> and it was, that was um, the first time you met him? Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and that was him, like, he wasn't well. I think he had a cold or something, but he just came running in. He was kind of up. I don't know if he'd taken some good sort of cold flu medicine or something, but. Were you in the midst of playing one of his songs or what were you playing to audition? Yeah, yeah, it was one of those songs. I was I was taking a, I was improvising over one of the newest songs which hadn't been released at the time. But then I had to play over a couple of the classics like uh, Cosmic Girl and Little L, which we had to do. Yeah, which was yeah, good, you know, fun. fun and this was you play. played keys for him, right? Keys and guitar? Keys, guitar and some singing, yeah. Cool. Ooh, some singing too. Yeah, yeah, you know. So you've also been writing and producing your own music in between all these other bands you've been a part of. Weirdly, I saw, the first thing I put out was in 2014. That was the album. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever put that much work into something of my own. And I was really proud of it. And I still am, you know, but it's, it was like a big daunting thing. But I, but I did it. And I was like 31 when I first put my own music out. So it was, it was never going to be like a a pop thing where I'm some young pop artist who's going to get signed up by a major label, but it was something that I just really loved and cared about. And then I took loads of time to uh, just didn't write. Well, I, I was writing. I just didn't release anything for, for like four years or three years. 
Um, and why is that? Were uh, you busy with other projects or? I guess. And I think maybe it just stressed me out so much. I, I just thought the idea of doing another album was, was just really kind of daunting. And then I suddenly realized nobody was really making albums. Everyone was making EPs. And an EP is such, it's a way easier thing to do. Like it's a smaller project, fewer songs. That, and, and I've written, you know, I've been writing kind of pretty much solidly for the last, I don't know, how old am I? Like 15 years or something. Like for, for myself, other people, uh, for, for my own stuff in, in different types of projects as well. So it's it's been really relentless. And, and I'm I'm actually planning on sort of not doing it for a while after Christmas, but it was yeah it was it was kind of a weird time that that period i think it was just i was worried about writing but then the ep thing happened and i was like i've got loads of songs to choose from i can just rework some of these songs for the first ep and then it sort of grew and i enjoyed it and the, there was so there's one called them and us which was released 2017 i released it when we were in san francisco with jamiroquai actually that oh, was cool. when that came i remember going for a walk on the beach and thinking hey my ep's out that's cool um then one called halfway home in 2018 oh, i got this right or was that 2019 i can uh, I, I think Spotify i'm here i think i'm like a year out sorry 2018 then 2019 was halfway home and that was with my band kind of playing live i don't normally do that usually it's me doing all the stuff really and then i released one this year yeah an ep this in year. another Anderson. life and yeah. it's interesting you mentioned Stevie Wonder a lot because your music is very soulful. It feels very old school to me. And it makes you just want to dance like that Stevie Wonder type vibe. So, I mean, obviously I can tell he's a huge influence on you by listening to your music. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange one. I feel like the, I've gotten better at kind of making some of that stuff my own. I, I, still, I still kind of wear the influences quite on my sleeve, I guess. But occasionally get mixed feelings about when people say, some people say it in a different way. The way you just said it was like in a nice way, but other people say really sounds like Stevie. I'm kind of going, yeah, I mean, I should feel like that's a bad thing, but actually he's like one of the most successful, like amazing songwriters to ever live. So you think, yeah, I'll take it as a compliment. If you say it sounds, it reminds you of Stevie Wonder. I'm like, that could be a lot worse. When I listened to it, I didn't think Stevie specifically. I just felt like old school, like 70s. Like I, I, was, yeah. I was like, like um, just the old school soul feeling. I, I really didn't know how to describe it when I was listening to it. But as I'm talking with you and you mentioned him a lot, it kind of all clicked. And I was like, oh, I get it now. But it definitely yeah. is your own voice. I feel like it's a, I guess, a modern way it's like a new modern soul tune, I guess. Like you did your own spin on it. It's very, you know, it's unique. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I think because I, I remember sort of coming to terms with the fact that I'd never have the same kind of tone or his vocal skills. So I was, that was like a really sad day. <laughs> but then I, but then I can't remember. Then I thought actually, well, no, nobody sounds like me. And if and if I like how I sound, which which took me a long time to get to, but I eventually got there. Actually, if if my voice sits on something that maybe is Stevie esque musically you know still like three thousand light years away from being as good as his stuff but i'm still i can maybe marry those two slightly different things and maybe come up with my own thing so that's a conscious i'm conscious of it but then i listen to like um pj morton i don't know if you've listened to his stuff mm -hmm. but you kind of he's he does the same thing where he's like he's got a more similar tone to stevie than i have but a lot of his music really sounds like that stuff and he's wearing it on his sleeve. Like he, you can listen to. He released an album called Gumbo, 
a few years ago, which I would highly recommend. But before Gumbo, his stuff was so different. And then in Gumbo, he starts writing songs about how the label want him to, to fit a certain way or they wanted to write songs that can get on the radio. And then the songs are about him going, no, that's not who I am. This wow. is me. And you kind of hear it and it's like, yeah. So I, I've kind of had some nice chats with him about, about that kind of thing and how we're both big Stevie guys. And yeah, so it's nice to hear somebody else wear their influences proudly and, and just try and put their own spin on what, what is this sort of an iconic sound, I guess. Who are other influences of yours? It's weird because I grew up playing different styles of music. There's, there's people from everywhere. Like I'm uh, playing bass and stuff. I had some big bass players I loved and drummers that I loved and they all really influenced stuff. But in terms of writing, big Quincy fan. But in the house, it was always like, yeah, Quincy, Michael Sembello, who's is, is massive. Like he he played guitar for Stevie Wonder for a while, but he he's like an artist in his own right. You most people know one of his songs, which is Maniac from that film. Uh she's a maniac. maniac. Oh yeah, I know that song. Yeah, that's him. Okay. So, and he's written he's written some ridiculous tunes. He got the Stevie gig at like 17 years old on guitar. Wow. Anyway, that's ridiculous. Nate, you're um, doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's um yeah, 17, man. Wow. But, so those guys, and then I started really like Burt Bacharach and people like that classic songwriters. Yep. Just you listen to like um, "Say a Little Prayer," like Aretha singing that tune. I'm like, oh man, this it's insane. I've I've been getting more into that stuff for a while, but for a while now, I guess. But D'Angelo, I'm a massive fan. There's loads, of stuff, and I'm going blank. But Bill Withers is huge. I yep. should say that as well. Shout out to Bill. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about one of the songs on your album, "Time to Say Goodbye." Yeah. I found it really interesting because the lyrics are really sad and it's about, I mean, you can tell us what, what it's about, but it sounds like it's about a breakup or you're leaving someone, but the music is very upbeat. I found that really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of something I've, I'm aware of. And it's something I mentioned when I do these songwriting classes and stuff, it's kind of, I think it's nice to have those slightly disparate things or, or sort of the opposites coming and, and smashing into each other and making something new. But yeah, it's a song. It's basically about that. Yeah, where you both know this thing's not working, and and like maybe it's time. But that tune in particular, yeah, I, th I forget. Usually, what happens is they start the songs end up sort of having rambling lyrics and stuff in them, and they don't make a lot of sense. And then it will be, I'll sing along like whoa, whoa, now we know, and then it's kind of like the occasional word will come out. So it's not always that I kind of had a plan to write a song about that subject, but for that tune, the music came first. And then I sort of ramble some lyrics out and something will come out like time to say goodbye would have come out. And then I write a song about around that subject, if you know what I mean. So you kind of get the chorus, you kind of fixed and you kind of know what you're writing about. Because otherwise, it's, I find if you just start writing a song from the verse, like what am I even writing about? I don't even know what the song's about. It's so hard. I get lots of people who try and write songs like that, come to these songwriting classes. And how do you know what to write about? So like, we'll just keep a book of, phrases or things that have happened to you or whatever you can't just start writing like a verse what, what's it about i mean it sounds like some breakup that might have gone on or or, or what that you, it wouldn't be some more of like a ballad or more of a, a more sad depressing song mm. it made me want to just get up and dance and i'm like why do i want to dance this is a very sad song <laughs> it's funny i think it will hit people differently because growing up i didn't i never listened to lyrics really i was never too bothered about the lyrics so and it's still kind of my least favorite thing to do in a song is write lyrics because uh, it's the hardest thing for me to do, I think. 
but it's I do like that thing that you could you could listen to it maybe you're more into the lyric side of things so you'll listen to it and maybe feel something sad but other people will just feel the the groove or the percussion or something and kind of feel like they want to move around so yeah it's quite it's quite interesting to see how some people react to it what is your hope for the future of the music industry oh man <laughs> I know somebody it's... somebody asked me this the other day some I did an Instagram like asked me a question thing and someone said what do you think is going to happen to music in the next couple of years so uh, I genuinely don't know I think I think it depends on on it would be hard enough to answer that question if there wasn't a, a big a pandemic so with that happening as well and, and the fact that artists are, are now being kind of particularly in the UK I don't know what it's like in the states but I think it's similar where the arts are being sort of considered not a viable career option I think we're all feeling quite not respected so the idea that the the streaming services have been doing really well uh, less I think they probably have lost a little bit because people aren't commuting to work so people aren't listening to music on 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 the trains and whatever but they're all doing fine the the guy who runs Spotify is like worth what is he like three billion dollars or something wow really and of course those guys the major labels Netflix all these big companies are doing extremely well because we've all been locked inside Right. We want to watch stuff. We want to feel happy or sad or whatever it is. So I think to help artists survive, I think some of those big companies would have to come together and figure out a plan, be it like a blackout for a few days to see what it's like without the arts in your life. Who knows? That will never happen because they're multi-billionaires and why would they care? That's yeah. the nature of, of some of that stuff. So I have no hope for that ever happening. But in terms of the industry, I think there are people in the industry who could make a difference and who could really change streaming and change the way artists are, artists are making money but i think some of those guys are young pop stars i don't know i don't have the exact answers but i think like people, really successful young artists sheeran like ariana grande bieber like there's a few people in their 20s who are, who are, have made more money than they'll ever need i think people like uh, jay-z tried it with tidal it still pays next to no money for per stream i think tidal is the best out of the out of the bunch i think youtube and spotify are, I'm are not horrendous. familiar with tidal yeah, so it's a lot of artists. I forget who was included, but I know uh, Jay-Z, I think Kanye might have been involved. There was, it was a long list of artists who, who came together to set up a new streaming service. And you you pay a monthly, it's like Spotify, I guess, but higher quality audio, I think. And the artist makes more money than Spotify? Yes, you know, vaguely, you know, just yeah. about. But so, just so you know, and I don't know if you know or if your listeners know, like the minimum wage in the UK is like £8.70 something an hour. And for me to make that much money on a, on streaming, I need 3,000 plays, like to make a minimum, an hour's Jeez. minimum wage. Wow. Yeah. So do you make unless more you're making, if we buy the song or the album, do you make more? Get really, make, uh, it's hard it's to tell. It's not that much term, more. Like it's, no, it's, it's not, it's not, I don't really know what the best way is. Someone said recently, I want your EP. What's the best way for you? I said, to be honest, like once iTunes takes a cut or whoever it is, like, it's minimal anyway. Bandcamp is probably the best one, um, but they take it. Everybody takes a fee, like, you know. PayPal, if you buy it through them, like everybody's taking some of your money, which is, you know, that's the world we live in, I guess. But the the streaming thing, like Spotify, is. I don't think people realize how how terrible the the, the rate is. It's like point something something of a cent per play. So that's that's terrible. Pretty bad. But in terms of the the industry as a whole, it's. I have mixed feelings about the the way it, you know because we can, anyone can release music now. You said you you work in TV. Mm -hmm. You don't make music, right? I do not. You could get that guitar from your wall and record an album today and release it in a couple of weeks. 
there's nothing stopping you doing that. And that could be a good thing because we'll be hearing music from people who, who maybe can make the most incredible music we've ever heard. And I, and I think that's, a, that's brilliant because you can then start to hear there's people out there I would never have heard but for the freedom of being able to release your own music. But it also means that per day, there are 40,000 songs reaching Spotify, like brand new songs every day. So it's so saturated. So it's so hard to kind of, for artists, I think, to be noticed or, it was never my ambition to be an artist. So I feel like I'm doing okay as a session musician and that's all great. And I release my own music because I love doing it. It was never because I need to, this fame or I need to be noticed. It was maybe the notice thing. Maybe that's, I, I do often wonder if, there must be some ego in there, but so I, I haven't figured that out yet. I'm but still it's for your love of the art. Yeah, it is. But for me, it's got, it's, it gets lost and that's fine because I don't care about being a, I do care, but it's not my life's ambition to be a number one selling artist or whatever. But to be lost in a sea, and this is just Spotify, it's a sea of 40,000 new songs a day. It's hard to be noticed, I think, unless you've kind of got the backing of a big company label etc etc so that's difficult but i think it also means yeah like i said like this there's a good there's a good side to that where so if anybody can make imagine if everybody had access to like education like college education the, the cure for cancer might be in some kid's head who who hasn't got the money to, to do it you know so that, that it's not as it's not a meritocracy like it perhaps maybe it's never been a meritocracy but it's there's no near being that now where anybody can just release music but all the important, like lots of important stuff, like education is still being kept away from. It's so weird to me that I can release as many songs as I like, but a kid can't go to college because yeah. <laughs> they can't afford it. So, or yeah. you, you know, in the States, you can't have an operation because you can't afford it or whatever it right. is. So right. we probably don't need Nothing to go too far Nothing makes sense. Down. Nothing makes sense, <laughs> Nate. <laughs> I know it's so difficult and I'm probably rambling and making no sense, but no, 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 no. You're making plenty of sense. I think what you're saying is with music is there's so much available to people that it's hard to get enough streams, right? So mm -hmm. it's hard for people to make money where in TV, there's like all these networks. You can create a show on this network. Now there's Quibi, which you can get on your phone. There's so much more media out there that makes it harder for people's work to be seen and listened mm. to. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's also, that's what I mean, it, it, it has a negative sort of sound to it. But actually, you might see the best show you ever saw because there's a space yes, for it. Agreed. You know, agreed. So it, it's, it might be sort of drowning in some really mediocre stuff, but actually there's some really good things out there. There's pluses and minuses to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but when you were saying too <laughs> earlier about with music and how, oh, what if we have a blackout for a few days? I mean, I think about that with TV too. Shows are just now starting to go back very slowly, but I've been out of work too for like seven months. You know, all, all yeah. my friends I have been, and it's like, it's kind of this weird catch 22 where you need to create content to keep people entertained right now, but you also it's not safe to go back to work to keep people entertained. So it's just this weird course, yeah. time that we're in right now where we're all just trying to cope. We're all trying to get by. We're all trying to make money somehow and survive and pay bills. But to tie it all into what we were talking about in the beginning with, with artists not getting their fair share, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair. No, I, I agree. But I guess, you know, in the same way you, you have to kind of try and adapt and think about what your skill set is. For example, you know, you, you, to, to do your job, you have to be good at a certain set, of, you know, Liam Neeson and take, you have a certain set of skills. What, what can you offer and how can you offer it? Can you offer to lessons or can you make your own TV shows on a handheld thing or whatever it is, you right. know, can you, 
I guess it's the same for all of us, you know, just trying to adapt. But the arts is totally being undervalued by the people running the country here, at least. And, and I've no doubt it's the same what you are. You're bringing a lot of awareness to it now, talking about it with me and also on your social media. I mean, what else can be done? How else can we help? How can we bring more awareness to this? Somebody asked me that the other day as well. And I, <clears throat> I kind of don't have the answers. Like it's it, this, it makes you feel so small, doesn't it? Like it feels so, um, makes you feel really insignificant that actually I'm, especially now I'm literally hundreds of miles away from, from London. So I'm, I'm literally hundreds and hundreds of miles away from being able to protest or, or do anything that, of that nature. So I have some friends who went down, there was a protest that, so in London there's par, the houses of parliament where all the, you know, the big guns are kind of pretending to, to have control over things. And then there's parliament square, which is a sort of a park outside. And I think there were about 300, 400 musicians went down um, on Tuesday this week. Um, as a sort of a thing to try and get some help for this, the freelancers. And they played because we were get, being given 20% of our initial our average profits. Uh, they played 20% of a classical piece of music and then stood in silence with all their instruments. So there's like a 400 piece orchestra played 20% of Mars by Holst. Wow. Then, <laughs> That's uh, a great idea. Wow. Yeah. And then, st then stood in silence. And it was, it's amazing. A friend of mine was a photographer. She went down and took some photos and it was, it was really moving. It was wow. amazing. You know, and, there's so many people who, I think the difficult thing, I, the thing I find difficult is that it's, it brings so much joy to so many people. Like if I, if I do a gig with Jamiroquai, say there's like 15,000 people who've come to watch, that's 15,000 people whose day you've made better. Like that's, and, the, and then you get messages from people who were there or people come backstage and they're so excited and, and you can see people are having a, I can see for the first few rows, I can see the whites of their eyes. Like I can see people are having a really good time. You can see people up there and, and you know you've done a good thing. Like you're part of a team that has contributed. So it's not, not just the band, but like the lighting person, the sound guys, like the people who set the stage up, like we've all contributed to making this amazing event. And people, if you do that for like a three-month tour and you're averaging maybe 10, 15,000 people a night, that's hundreds of thousands of people by the end of a tour whose lives you've, you've sort of improved temporarily, but yeah. maybe that's what they needed that you day. You made like their you day had a, better. Yeah. So it's such an important thing to be able to give people. I think, you know, any, any art, whatever, whatever it is, I can only talk about music because that's what I know, but it's, it's so undervalued. Like yeah. it's, it's insane. And it's not considered an option at school. I was always talked about. So my careers person at school said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a session musician. Like this is like 14 years old, I guess. I want to be a session musician. She said, no, come on. What do you really want to do? Like, no. I want to be a session musician. Why don't you go into music therapy or something? I said, because I want to be a session musician. That's what my heroes do. Mm -hmm. And it's cool. I wish I knew that who that woman, I can't remember her name. I wish I knew where she lived so I could go and tell her what I do for a living now. <laughs> do you think that's why the comment by the politician in the UK saying, you know, get out, go out and get a real job. Do you think that's why it also struck a nerve with you? Because it reminded you of that teacher that yeah, said the same surely. thing? Yeah, but any professional musician has heard that before. Yeah. And it's usually it's usually from somebody who's jealous that they haven't found the thing they love doing. Yeah. I'm one of the people like there's millions of us who got it right. Like we do the thing we love for a living. It's not my fault. You've got a horrible job. Yeah. Like you chose to do that thing. And this sounds really horrible, but I've heard it. And, and weirdly, since I put that thing on Instagram about, if you've ever said that to a musician, I hope you never get to listen to music again. I've had a few people say, yeah, I've heard it so many times, get a real job. Why don't you get a proper job? What do you do for an actual living? Mm -hmm. Like, 
I do this for a living. Like there are people who do it as a hobby and that's fine. Of course it's fine. It's a brilliant thing to do as a hobby. I actually do it to pay my rent and <laughs> make a living. You've been doing it job. since you were 13. Yeah. So it, it it's really made a lot of people angry. The get a, get a real job is basically what the, the government have said, you know. Um, but we want to work, but we can't because the government have said we can't. It's not their fault that there's a coronavirus going around, and that's, of course, but the UK government has handled it so poorly. <laughs> so poorly and I, I i get the impression maybe you guys not done a great job either but yeah it's a mess over here too man yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a don't... total mess <laughs> yeah I, i'm not sure i'm not sure we can even do that but he's but he's at least he's told you not to fear it now there's nothing to fear yeah, there's he's... no fear to be had i guess we can all just go out and live our lives now <laughs> uh, guys are uh, actually a psychopath but oh i know i know oh that's another podcast episode yeah, I think so. Um, so if anyone wants to take your songwriting class, where can they find you? How can they sign up? It's usually the best way to find out about it. So it's kind of on a whim. I'll just announce it on social media. So usually uh, Instagram is the best place. So I'm at Nate Groove, N-A-T-E-G-R-O-O-V-E. Um, yeah, and that's where it's, there's like pictures of music things or nice things or you know like the countryside but then there'll also be like an angry thing about the government or there'll be a song that i've co-written or so so it's a good mix a healthy mix of some some good bad and ugly i think your new ep in another life is out now for everyone to stream yes it's so everywhere. good are you still writing music in the meantime or just focusing on the classes yeah that yeah most of the kind of a lot of time spent here writing music there's a christmas ep which i'm hoping will be ready in time it's going to be really short and then after that, I'm not going to write any new music for a while. But I think the next project might be an album eventually. I kind of want to do another album. But yeah, that, that's I'm going to take some time away from because I've been writing nonstop for so long. I feel, I feel like I just need a break. Take I just a need break. to. Yeah. Need Don't, a little mental yeah. health break these days, anyways, right? I think so. Yeah. I need to stay in bed for a couple of weeks or something. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was really great to catch up with you and hear what you've been up to and hear what's going on in the UK with everything, which just sounds ugh, stressful yeah. and hectic. And <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. It's great to see you. I'm, I'm so glad you asked me to, to do this. It's been it's uh, sort of, obviously, I see what you're up to a little bit and I'm glad it's all good, but I hope you can get back to work and all that stuff as well. Thank you. Yeah, you as well. You as well. Good luck. And let's let's catch up again soon. Let's <laughs> let's not just have this be a, a catch up time. Let's let's catch of course. up more. Great to see you, Nate. All right. And you. Good luck with everything. Thank you. See you soon. And that concludes my conversation with Nate. I really hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. I'm going to leave you with his song, Try As I Might, off his new EP called In Another Life. Thanks so much for listening to Inside the Artist. Inside the Artist.